The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. If you have your Bible, I would love for you to go ahead and open it up to John chapter 4. Um, last week, at the end of our 1015 together, I asked you to hold your hands up. So would you, everyone, just hold your hands up for a second? Do you have the same number of fingers that you had last week at this time? Okay, that's a good thing. Um, my wife told me afterwards, she said, I don't think some people got what you were saying until later that day. Um, probably when you were lighting off fireworks at night, it kind of clicked for you. So I'm glad you have all of your fingers. Um, one of the things that I was, um, over the past few weeks, uh, I was driving up to Pine Haven Christian Assembly in Minnesota with Christian DaCosta from Summit Christian College. And we were, um, we I don't think, I don't know if I should say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. We were watching our 1015 on YouTube while we were driving. Um, And one of the things that I, don't do that at home. John Walker's over there shaming me. um, So don't do that at home. But one of the things I noticed that Cody did um, really well on that Sunday was how well he got you to interact with him. He was asking you questions and I could hear voices shouting. And as I was listening to that, I was thinking to myself, they never respond to me in that way. So I don't know what he did, what he did differently except to say it was coming, but also I know you're capable of it, okay? So, so what I'm going to ask today is, is for a little bit of interaction um, from you this morning. Um, so how many of you believe that, um, that, it is in, that there's a right way and a wrong way to worship God? There's a right way and a wrong way to worship God, Okay. I, come on, commun- come on, participation. Maybe you don't think through, okay. So maybe I'm asking a trick question, right? So maybe this is okay. This is what we're going to talk about today. How many of you believe um, that the way we worship God matters? Okay. How many of us believe that where we worship God matters? Mm, I heard a little grumble there, Right? Well, I would, I would submit to you that God cares how we worship him a great deal. And I would submit to you that God cares where we worship him. And that doesn't necessarily mean what you think it's going to mean. When we read the Bible, we see that God cares how he is worshiped. We see that God cares how we interact with him. He actually has these things set up. Um, So the Old Testament, the primary way in which people accessed God, the primary way which people got to God was at their tabernacle or through the temple through a very specific set of rituals. So if I'm an Old Testament Jew... And I'm reading through the, the Old Testament or I'm having someone speak to me and tell me what, what, the, what the Bible has to say, what the Hebrew Bible has to say. I have a very specific way in which I'm going to interact with God. And that's very tight, very controlled. But according to the Gospel of John, Jesus says something. He says that there is a time coming. And he says, in fact, it's already here in which people will not worship in specific places, but they'll worship in spirit and in truth. So if we're not Old Testament Jews who worship God in a specific place and in a specific time and in a specific method, and we're New Testament Christians, we kind of need to know what that means. We need to know what it means 
to worship God. How do we worship God? Because there are still guardrails for how we can worship God. There are still rules that we have to follow when it comes to the way we interact with God. Over the past couple weeks, we've been talking about worship. So what is worship? That was week one. Worship is the only proper response to God. The only proper response to God is worship. Worship is the recognition that only God is worthy. We talked about how worship teaches and encourages other people. We talked about how worship places us into God's story. See, now we start to answer that question, right? Like, is there a right way to worship God? Is there a right space to worship God? If the answer to those questions is yes, and I believe it is, then it's going to place us into God's story. It's going to put us into community with other believers. And lastly, worship builds unity. So when, we, when we're tentative to raise our hand about a, a specific place, I understand that. I knew that was going to be a trick question. But some things we have to wrestle with, if, if, worship is, if part of worship is creating unity, then we can't say it doesn't matter where we worship God. We can't say it doesn't matter how we worship God. Because unity with whom? Not just the vertical relationship, but unity with horizontally with other people. Then Cody, on that, on that second week, he talked about who do we worship and what do we worship. He said this, we were created with a need that was placed in us that only God can fill. But what happens is we try to fill that need with other things. So he talked about the philosophical idea of the God-shaped hole that's in each person. There's this, there's this philosophical space in each person that has ever existed that only God fits into. And what Cody talked about was the way we try and, we try and cram other things into that space. Relationships, money, success, affirmation. We try to put all of these other things into this space and it, it doesn't fit because it's not meant to because it's a God-shaped hole. It's a God-shaped space. John Calvin um, in his Institute says this, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. Daily experience teaches that the flesh is always uneasy until it has obtained some figment like itself in which it may finally find solace as in an image of God. So what does that mean? It means there's this God-shaped space in each one of us. And our heart will find no rest. Our heart will find no satisfaction until we put something into that space. Until we put God into that space. Otherwise, our heart is perpetually creating new idols. Do you remember Acts 17? Cody talked about this. Paul shows up in Athens. And there are idols to all of the gods. Right? And what is that? That's the people of Athens who are, who are trying to fill that God-shaped space, that God-shaped hole. And they're worshiping all of these different gods because their hearts are idol factories. And as Cody said, they even have, like to hedge their bets, they even have a space that says to the unknown God with nothing in the hole. Right? With nothing in the slot. To make sure that we've got all of our bases covered 
surely there's a God out there we don't know about. So, so he fits in this space. And when you read through Acts 17, what we find is Paul tells them who that God is to fill that space. And then a couple weeks ago, we talked about when should we worship? And the answer to that question is simple, all the time. Our worship of God is not dependent on our circumstances. And that's a really tough one for us. Our worship of God is not dependent on our circumstances. Our circumstances should not dictate when we worship God. Our circumstances should not dictate how we worship God or why we worship God. See, we worship God as Christians. We are called to worship God all the time. And when we do that, when we worship God, we're in this, in this space. I was at a camp a few weeks ago, as I said. The theme of the week was a thin place. And what we, we talked about was just this idea of heaven and earth are colliding. Heaven and earth are coming together. Right? When we read through the New Testament, we see heaven and earth coming together. And my friend Reggie drew this Venn diagram up on, for the screen. Maybe you know what that is. That's where two circles come together and then they kind of link, and then there's like that thin space in between of them. That's heaven and earth colliding. That's, that's what we see taking place in our own world. So when Jesus says something like, there's a time coming and yet it's already here, that's what he's talking about. Heaven is coming to earth. We talked about that the entire Revelation series. And when we worship God, when we worship God, we're in that thin space. We are experiencing just a taste of the reality of who God is. And Celtic Christians call this the thin place. And we sang about one, um, we sang about that actually a minute ago in the song, How He Loves. Heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss. That's a little crass for church, isn't it? Like we don't talk that way in church. But see, the songwriter was very intentional with his language. Did I say sloppy, wet, or unforeseen? I said unforeseen. Okay. We sang sloppy, wet. See, that's crass for church. Like, we don't like that. Which is why, when it was made popular, they changed the line to unforeseen. Because Christians don't do sloppy, wet kisses, right? That's the mindset. That's the marketing scheme that went into that song change. But the reality of it is, and we're going to talk way more about this next week. When heaven meets earth, it's way messier than what we think it ought to be. There's more tension involved when heaven meets earth. Look at any situation in the Bible where there was an interaction with a human being in the things of God. It was messy. It was uncomfortable. It was challenging. And that's next week's message. So I've experienced this thin place while I've been reading my Bible in the morning where it's messy. I read the Bible and I see something that I don't like and I feel that tension. That's the thin place. I've experienced the thin place while praying at night, while listening to music in my office. I've experienced that thin place where heaven meets earth while out on a run in the morning. I've experienced the thin place when I'm serving other people, 
I've experienced the thin place when I proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. Like I'm living in that thin space when I do that thin place when I do all of those things. Sunday mornings when we gather together, this is a thin place. This is heaven meeting earth. We sang the song, this is what heaven sounds like. We're making a theological statement that this is what's happening in heaven right now. We're bringing a thin space. Heaven is meeting earth. And we don't see this concept, the phrase in the Bible, but we see the concept of the thin place in the Bible. I was reading an article last week by Becky Eldridge, and she writes this. There are three primary ways thin places can show up in our lives. The first is special places. The second is basic rhythms and routines. And the third is favorite prayer methods. So what we should do as Christians, right, we don't get our main theological talking points from, from Becky Eldridge. We don't get our th- main theological talking points from John Mulholland. We should take Becky Eldridge's article and we should see what the Bible has to say about that. See, as Christians, we let the Bible be our guide. Which is why when we ask a question like, is there a right way or a wrong way to worship God? The answer is yes. And that right way is found in scripture. And frankly, so is the wrong way. When we ask a question, is there a right place and a wrong place to worship God? Or a right way? And are there those places? And we want to look in the Bible and see what the Bible has to tell us. Because that's where we take our cues from. So let's, let's talk about special places for a minute. And this, this actually was pretty easy. If you are in, if you have your YouVersion app open, you're going to see all of these verses listed for you. I think I set a new world record today of verses that we're not going to read but are in YouVersion. The first one is in Exodus 3 verses 1 to 6. This is, this is a thin place. God meets Moses in the desert at the burning bush. That's a thin place. In fact, we know it is because Moses shows up and God says, Moses, you need to take your shoes off because the place you're standing is holy ground. See, that's a a thin place. Moses has encountered God. Heaven has met earth. And then a little bit later in Exodus 19, verses 16 to 20, the people at Sinai They've been wandering the desert. They show up at Mount Sinai, and we're going to read this next week. There's thunder and lightning. Yes, very, very frightening. There's all of these manifestations of God's power. And what the people are experiencing is a thin place. Heaven is meeting earth. The tabernacle and the temple in Jerusalem were both thin places. That was where God dwelt. If we had the tabernacle set up in front of us and we were Old Testament Jews, there are spaces in the tabernacle, spaces in the temple that we would not be allowed to be unless we were the high priest at a certain time during the year. See, God was there. That was heaven meets earth. There are a ton of other places. In 1 Kings 12 verses 25 to 33, we read about One of these spaces. The kingdom has split in two between Israel and Judah. And King Jeroboam has built shrines at Bethel and Dan. North and west of Jerusalem. Because he doesn't want people going to Jerusalem to worship there. So let me say that again a little bit slower. So the kingdom split. And the king builds shrines 
at other places so, the, so his people won't go to the other people's land. Does that make sense? The place where God told them to worship was in Jerusalem. And this other king comes along and he doesn't want the people to go there. So he sets up his own places. The Assyrians take over the northern kingdom of Israel and the Israelites living in Samaria, they build their own temple. See where this is going? So there's a temple in Jerusalem where the people are supposed to worship. They split and they build their own temple on Mount Gerizim. And eventually this temple would be destroyed, but the people still viewed it as holy. And this is going to be important in a couple minutes for us. So there's these places where people interacted with God. Daniel 3, 19 to 30, we just sang a song about it. Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace. There's another in the fire. That's a thin place. It's where God interacted with people. And then this is a New Testament example. But Matthew 27, 43 to 56, Jesus on the cross, specifically where the curtain tears from top to bottom when he dies. That's a thin place. See, God was, God was kind of kept behind that temple or behind that, um, that curtain, right? Only certain people could go in there. Well, now that temple or that, ta- that, that curtain gets torn, letting God out, essentially, creating a larger, thin space. And these are all places where, where heaven and earth is very thin. I'm going to go to a place and I'm going to encounter God. And these are the only places, for the most part, where I'm going to encounter God. This is in the Old Testament. Basic, basic rhythms and routines. As humans, we often build lives filled with habits and rituals. So if we stay in the Old Testament for a minute, especially Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, that's the part where we all stop our Bible reading plan in February, right? We hit that and we stop. It's filled with descriptions of basic rhythms and routines. So when we're reading those things, one of the things that we have to recognize is they weren't written for us or to us. Like God is describing to the Israelites the basic rhythms and routines by which the people are going to meet God. If you want to approach me, God says, you have to do it this way. Here's a whole bunch of rules. Here's a whole bunch of regulations. And these are all designed to give you access to my glory. We see pages and pages of descriptions written about burnt offerings and sacrifices and all of these things. And we wonder, like, what does all of this mean, right? What are we to do with this? Well, God is telling the people how they are to approach him how the lamps were to be prepared, how the ark was to be carried, which really matters to a guy named Uzzah centuries later when it gets carried incorrectly. And he reaches out to touch it. See, we ask the question, well, when the ark is being carried and and it starts to fall and Uzzah touches it, he's just trying to stop it. So why does he die? Well, the ark wasn't being carried properly. See, these these rules and these regulations are about access to God and to violate them had serious consequences. When you carried the ark on a cart drawn by oxen, when it's supposed to be carried with poles and it falls and you reach out to touch it, guess what's going to happen? 
you're going to die. And that sounds crazy to us until you think that God has rules and regulations about how he wants to be worshipped. And then it's not so crazy. Think about Nadab and Abihu. The very beginning of the tabernacle. Nadab and Abihu are sons of Aaron. And they carry an unauthorized fire into their tabernacle. Into the holy place. See, it's something they weren't supposed to do. And for us, I think we kind of have this hierarchy. Like we read the Bible sometimes and we think, yeah, okay, those rules are really important. These ones not so much. I think Nadab and Abihu were the same way. They had all of these rules and regulations to follow. And like they just kind of decided like what's the harm in carrying the wrong kind of fire into the tabernacle? What's the difference? God's not going to care. Well, fire came through the curtain and burned them alive. See, God cared about how he was worshiped. And we have to, again, ask these questions. Does God care today how he's worshiped? Does it really matter? Or can we just kind of do whatever we want to? Is it a free-for-all for us to worship God in a way that's, that's good for my heart and good for my soul? And that's just the way that I connect with God. Like, I understand what the Bible has to say, but this is how I connect with God. Well, I would submit to you that your way might be wrong. I would submit to you that just because God hasn't struck you down with fire, that's actually a testimony to his mercy and grace and not to his acceptance of your wrong way of worshiping him. Does that make sense? These rhythms and and routines were designed specifically to help people understand what they were supposed to do in the thin place. When I go to the tabernacle, when I go to the temple, I have rules to follow. This is how I am supposed to worship God. And if I do something else, it is at my peril. I must worship God correctly. And then here's favorite prayer methods. Eldridge writes this, they, favorite prayer methods, bring instant comfort and ease and they make the return to prayer and stillness happen quickly. My mind, body, and heart, without even thinking about it, know that starting one of these prayer methods readies me to be still and quiet before God. See, a favorite prayer method allows me, allows you to be still before God. It's a starting point. It's a way for us to to center on what God is going to say to us. And there are two specific ways in the Old Testament, in the Torah, that Jews were commanded to pray. They had two prayers that they had to pray every single day, two. The first is the Shema. Probably a little familiar with that. We talk about Deuteronomy 6 here quite a bit. It begins this way. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Again, these verses are all in you version. It's Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9, Deuteronomy 11, 13 to 21, and then Numbers 15, 37 to 41. Twice a day, every morning, every evening, that's how the Jews were required to pray. They woke up, they said it. When they went to bed, they said it. The second prayer is called the Bikrat Hamazon. It's what they said at after meals. And it's made up of four different blessings. 
The first praises God for sustaining life and providing food for all creatures. The second prayer thanks God for being compassionate and nourishing the Jewish people with food and with the Torah. I just love that second part. We often, when we thank God, we thank God for for food. We thank God for the things that he gives us. And the Jews were, were bent on recognizing God for the way that he nourished them through his word. I wonder, have you thanked God for nourishing you through his word? When you read scripture, are you seeing that it is filling you that it is giving you something. Here's the third part. Begs God to be merciful and continue to support the Jewish people. And the fourth, the fourth stresses the positive aspects of the relationship between God and the Jewish people. See, these, these prayers were things that Jews did every single day. These two prayers. Every day. And this served to orient them around what's most important in their lives. See, there's a right way and a wrong way to worship God. And according to the fact that there are two prayers that they're supposed to say, there's a right way to pray and a wrong way to pray. And doesn't that just push all of our little 21st century buttons? Because we don't want to have to think that there's a wrong way to pray. Because again, we're so used to doing things in our, my heart tells me I can pray this way. Well, as long as that's in line with what God says, go for it. If it's different, you might want to evaluate what you think this relationship between you and God is about. So these thin places, as we think about this in the Old Testament, they were frequently around specific places, rhythms and routines, and prayers. So in the Old Testament, if I was going to access God... I'm going to do it at specific places, rhythms and routines, and prayers. That's how I'm going to meet God. That's how I'm going to interact with God. So what does this mean for us? How do we apply these things? Because how many of us are Old Testament Jews? Perfect. Good job. (laughs) Your non-compliance was actually compliance. Right? None of us are Old Testament Jews. So we have to ask this question, well then, how do we interact with God? How do we apply these things to our lives today? Where and what are those thin places in our lives where heaven meets earth when we access him? What does the New Testament say? Well, I told you we're going to, we talked about Mount Gerizim and I told you we're going to come back to that. So in John chapter 4, there's this scene where Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well. And he has this lengthy interaction with her where he's talking to her about her own life. He's talking to her about the reality of who he is. And she's asking him all of these questions and he's answering them. And he says, go get your, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. Then everyone's favorite line, Jesus says, it's true. You've had five husbands and the guy you're with now isn't your husband, right? This is a pretty thin space, can we agree? Heaven is not just meeting earth 
like a sloppy wet kiss. It's like a full-on attack. This thin space. And then they start talking about worship. This is verse 19 in John chapter 4. Sir, the woman said, this is, this is after he tells her that she's had five husbands. Notice her, notice her move to get away from that topic. She thinks this one's going to be better. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? Do you notice what she did there? Right? How many of us, what's our move? We get called on our sin and we deflect, right? We blame other people. We look at other things. But she asks a question. Does the where of worship matter? That's her question. Jesus, you're a Jew. Your people worship in Jerusalem. My people worship at Mount Gerizim. I gave you the history of that a few minutes ago. Which one is the right place to worship? Is there a right place to worship Jesus? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So, is there a right way and a wrong way to worship God? Yes. Is it up to us to decide how we worship God? No. See, the Father says, Jesus says, it's, you must worship in spirit and in truth. So then we have to ask the question, what does that mean? If I'm not going to the temple or the tabernacle or this building to worship God, like where do I go? How do I do it? If I don't have to follow all of these Old Testament rules and rituals to worship God, like how do I do it? You probably, we probably ought to ask that question. This is one of these things we want to get right is our worship. Spirit and truth. Here's, here's what Jesus is saying when he uses that phrase. See, God's not confined to any one space. God is not confined to any one location because he is in all and through all. And some of you right now, your new age warnings are going off, so give me a second. Don't jump to a conclusion. God isn't confined to one space. He's in all and through all. And see, because God, for the believer, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We are always worshiping in spirit and in truth. We're always worshiping something in spirit and in truth because God is always with us and we are exposed. Our worship to God is exposed 
Because the spirit lives within us. He knows what we are worshiping. He knows how we are worshiping. He knows where we are worshiping. 100% of the time. So when we walk into this space, because this is our worship space. If what we do in here is not accurate with who we really are, God knows. God knows. Because we are worshiping in spirit and truth because of that relationship that we have for him. We are totally exposed to God because of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. That ought to both encourage us and scare the daylights out of us. We ought to be filled with conviction that God knows the reality of our hearts. That God knows that our hearts are idol factories. That ought to frighten us. That ought to concern us when we live an incongruent life. But see, here's the good news. When we worship God in truth and spirit, out of reality, out of who he is, right? We are in alignment with his spirit. We are in agreement with his spirit. When we are obeying him in love through his spirit, this frees us from the tyranny of worshiping God in a specific place. Does that make sense? Like, I don't have to come in here to worship God. Isn't that good news? The Old Testament Jews, they had certain times and places and specific things that they had to do in order to access God. They had to wait. The Day of Atonement took place every single year, once a year. So if they were going to atone for their sins, when could they do it? Once a year. One time. When we want to admit our sins to God, when we want to confess our sin, when we want to repent of our sin to God, when can we do it? Anytime. I don't have to wait to come in here to make sure that, that everything is lined up perfectly and I brought the right animal and man, hopefully somebody didn't take the wrong fire into the temple and hopefully the priest did this right. Like it's not dependent on any of those things. See, my worship of God, my confession of my sin and repentance is not dependent on that. It's dependent on my relationship with God. So we're freed from worshiping in a specific place. And to me, that's really good news. Because what if we got the space wrong? Have you ever thought about that for a minute? Have you ever asked yourself, does the physical space that we come together in, like what if there's something off about it? What if there's not something that glorifies God? Have you ever considered that? We're freed from that, though. This book that we're reading with our elders is called Sticky Church, and in it, the book talks about the, the so-called holy place myth, that somehow God's presence is greater in some places than in others. See, we have this tendency to think, that for some reason this building is more holy than some other space. And 
I would submit to you that it's not. It's a building. We do lots of things here. We're going to talk about that next week. I'm saying next week a lot. Because what I'm trying to do, honestly, today is create a little bit of tension in you. I'm going to say this at the end, so I'll say it at the end too. I want you to walk out of here today wondering why we come to this place. What is it about what we do here? Like, why do we do this? Why does this matter? If this building is no more holy than any other building, why here? Why do we come here? Author uh, Paul Rainbow says this. In the Old Testament, access to God's glory was had through the temple in Jerusalem with its priestly rituals. So if I'm an Old Testament Jew and I want to meet God, I'm going to go to the temple. That's where I'm going to meet him. And all of these things have to line up perfectly in order for God to make his appearance and for me to access him. But in the Messianic era, experience of God is mediated through the paraclete. That's another word for the Holy Spirit. In the Messianic era, experience of God is mediated through the Holy Spirit now dwelling in the hearts of people wherever they are. Does that make sense? So as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. So my access to God is not dependent on a place. It's not dependent on a person. You don't come to me to get access to God. There are other religions that teach that. My access to God is through a holy person, is through a holy man, and he's or she or the other, they're the, they're the ones. See, as Christians, we have access to God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what this means is there are to be thin places wherever we go. Wherever we go can be a thin place because the Holy Spirit is present within us. And again, this isn't some new age, God's in the trees message. This is what believers were promised in the Old Testament. This is what we see in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Remember, the Holy Spirit descends on the people, tongues of fire over the heads of the disciples. They go outside. They start preaching. They start teaching. Everyone thinks they're drunk. Peter's like, dude, it's only 9 a.m. Paraphrase, but close. What you're seeing, Peter says, is what was promised in the Old Testament. You are witnessing the Holy Spirit coming upon all of the people of God. This is, what we, this, is, this is what we talked about, Old Testament Jews. You're seeing this take place. And our consistent experience of God's presence is the proof that any place can be a thin place. That's why when I go on a run in the morning, that's why my morning run can be a thin place. That's why when it's just me and Scripture, that can be a thin place. It's why hanging out with friends can be a thin place. It's why sitting in my small group can be a thin place. It's why serving can be a thin place. Are there special places? Yes. Any place that invites us to understand the vastness and creative power of God is a thin space. Any place can be. 
You might find that in this building. Are there basic routines and rituals for Christians? Of course there are. We talk about them all the time here. We read our Bibles. We pray. We spend time in relationship with other people. We serve. We're generous. Like those are the basic rhythms and rituals that connect us to God. Do we have favorite prayer methods? Yes. We have favorite prayer methods. Ronald Rollheiser says this, there's only one, no one non-negotiable rule for prayer. Show up. Show up. The ups and downs of our minds, our hearts and hearts are of secondary importance. See, that's what it means to worship God regardless of your circumstance. When I pray regardless of my circumstance, I'm entering into that thin place. Because God's presence is in the life of the Christian, any place has the possibility to be a thin place. So does it matter how we worship God? Yes. We must worship him in spirit and in truth. We must recognize that who we worship and what we worship and how we worship are completely exposed to God. There's a right way to worship God. It's to be fully and completely exposed to him. Is there a right place? Yeah, if you're accessing God, it's that place. And again, why do we come here? Hold on to that thought. One of my favorite thin places as a Christian is what we get to do together every single week through communion. This is an opportunity for us to enter into a place where God is present. And as I've been thinking about communion, I think this is quite possibly the thinnest place there is on earth, is during our time of communion. Of all the things that Jesus could have asked his disciples to remember him for, all the things he said, all the things he did, he gave us this activity to be the thing that we were to remember him for. He says this, this is in Luke 22, verses 19 to 10. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice to you. See, when we participate in the bread and the cup, what we're doing is we're remembering and recognizing God's presence among us. We are entering into this place because this is how he told us to remember him. This is how he told us to remember him, which another sermon, another time, man, there are lots of things we try and do to remember Jesus by. There's a right way and there's a wrong way, and this is the right way. So if you have your bread, I would encourage you to take it out. And I want to remind you that this is Christ's body broken for you. And the cup is Jesus' blood that's been poured out for you.
Let's pray. God, we are, we are here this morning not because of this place, but because of you. We are gathered together in praise and celebration of the reality of who you are and what you have done in the way that you have demonstrated your love for us by sending your son to save us. We have opportunities to access your glory all the time. I ask that we would not get caught up in the mindset that that only happens here. And it happens here. And it might happen powerfully here. But it happens anywhere you show up. So I pray that we would be aware of the ways that you are showing up in our lives that we would choose to worship you on your terms. We would choose when to worship you on your terms. That we would choose where to worship you on your terms. That we would choose how to worship you on your terms. That we would not be satisfied with our own ways of worship, but we would find satisfaction in your desires for our worship of you. And it's in your sons and we pray. Amen.